it's been a while, but we are back. Welcome to the Ryan Waldus Sports Podcast. It is Tuesday, July 24th, 2018. I'm doing great. I've never had a bad day in my life. I hope all of you guys are doing good as well. It's been a while. It's been four days since the last podcast. Last time the podcast was uploaded was Friday, July 20th, and that one we talked about Bachado going to the Dodgers. The Indians got a couple of relievers, and I talked about NASCAR. I talked about marketing in Major League Baseball. So if you haven't given that podcast a listen, definitely check that out. But we are back for the start of another week of the Ryan Waldus Sports Podcast. Did not put one up yesterday on Monday, but we are back here today on Tuesday. Just a couple of housekeeping notes. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, CastBox, Google Podcast, a lot of the major services. So whatever one you're most comfortable with, it's probably on there right now. So definitely check it out. Just search Ryan Waldus Sports Podcast. Be sure to leave a rating or review. Let me know how I'm doing. Give me some constructive criticism. Whatever you want to do, uh, I would really appreciate it. It's definitely part of the reason. Uh, it's part of uh, how this podcast grows. Also, you can check out my website at ryanwaldus.com. And there you can also check out my link tree. All you have to do is click on the podcast tab at the top of the webpage. And it'll take you to my link tree, which I created about a week ago. And it has everything you could possibly need, every link you could possibly need, the links of all the services that offer my podcast, a link to my website, a link to all my social media, whatever, you know, it's it's got everything, really. It's, it's such a convenient tool to have, so definitely check that out. Once again, all you have to do is go to my website at ryanwaldus.com and then just click on the podcast tab to be taken to that link tree. It is Tuesday. I am going to touch on, looking at my list right now, four different things, at least three, maybe four, depending on the time. We're going to start in the NFL. We're going to transition to a little bit of basketball. Going to hit the MLB for a little bit, and then I might end with NASCAR. I'll have to wait and see. Of course, they just raced to New Hampshire on Sunday, so we're going to wait and see if I hit on NASCAR, but we will start in the NFL uh, a couple, well, I should say there's a few things I want to talk about, and they all relate to contracts. By the way, speaking of the NFL, starting in August, I will be beginning my NFL preview, uh, whatever you want to call it. I probably should have thought of a better name for that, but I'll be previewing all 32 NFL teams over the course of August. I might actually start on July uh, 30. I might, yeah, I might start on the last day of July, July 31st. Uh, that might be a smart idea because I'd like to preview every single NFL team. There will be some where I get guests on, uh, some of my friends that are fans of certain teams. I would definitely love to get them on. I already have a couple uh, sorted out. You remember Nick Halper from very early on in the podcast. He'll be on to talk about the Cowboys. Matt DeLuca, who I've talked about a couple times, he'll be on to talk about the Patriots. So there are going to be uh, uh, you know, some friends of mine that will come on the podcast. I'm really looking forward to that. I hope you guys are too. But that will be starting uh, probably, I, I really think, July 31st. If not July 31st, then definitely August 1st. That's when that preview series will start. And it'll basically just be talking about the team, you know, expectations, what they did in the offseason, did they get better or worse. Uh, just an overall outlook for the team, uh, if, you know, maybe not just for right now, but for the future as well. But that's uh, that'll be coming in about a week or so, so definitely stay tuned for that. But as of right now, there are some things in the NFL I do want to talk about. And as I said, they do relate to contracts. Julio Jones came out, um, and supposedly he is—he's uh, not happy. According to a source, he does not plan. This is from from Twitter.com. The the source uh, I'm going to get it up right now was Chris Morrison, of course, of ESPN. He said that uh, according to a source, Julio Jones does not plan to report to the Falcons on schedule Thursday without an adjustment to his contract, which has three years remaining. He is set to make 10.5 million dollars in 2018. 
and the team is aware of his mindset at this time. Once again, that was from Chris Mortensen of ESPN. So Julio Jones appears to be one of the the major players that will be holding out uh, at least for the the first the initial part of of training camp. So you take a look at Julio Jones. He signed that five year contract uh, a few years back. It kicked in in uh, in 2015 or yeah 20, 2015 2016. Um, and it was a five year 71.2 million dollar contract. It gave him a 12 million dollar signing bonus. It was 47 million dollars guaranteed. And he got an average annual salary of $14.2 million. As I said, this year his base salary was $10.5 million, the signing bonus of $2.4 million. He had a cap hit of $12.9 million. Uh, so uh, there was a potential out uh, in 2018 that did not come to fruition. But it's, so that's that's what Julio Jones' contract is looking like right now. Next year he's slated to make $12.5 million in base salary with a $2.4 million signing bonus. And then in 2020, which is the last year of that deal, he is set to make $11.426 million without a signing bonus. So uh, it's there's there's a couple sides to, to this, right? So Julio Jones, he's 29 years old right now. Um, he doesn't have a ton of time left, um, realistically speaking. At 29 years old, he's kind of he's he's coming very close to to hitting that wall that athletes do not want to hit that that wall of 30 years old. If you take a look here, he just turned 29 in February, so he'll be 30 next February after the Super Bowl uh, on February 8th. Uh, so he's, you think about it realistically, he is he is running out of time. Uh, he doesn't have a ton of time left uh, in the in the NFL relatively, um, but uh, it's it's interesting that this is coming up. So Julio Jones, right? He he chose to sign. This five-year extension, and at the time, it made him, I think, the second-highest-paid receiver uh, in the NFL. I think, I think that's what the the statistic was. Um, so at the time he signed that, he was happy with it. But but now, a few years later, he's he's upset clearly because he's going to hold out, uh, and he wants to. It the problem is nobody knows really what he he wants in the contract, despite that report from Chris Bordson. No one really knows what he wants in this because Morton say reported it was an adjustment to his contract so nobody knows if he wants a new contract nobody knows if he wants an extended contract no one knows if he wants more guaranteed money nobody knows exactly what Julio wants and Julio uh, it's uh, he's kind of like I, I want to say he's kind of like a Kawhi in that he doesn't really go to the media a lot to, to voice his displeasure so like nobody knows what this guy wants you take a look at what Julio did. He signed that extension, and at, as I said, at the time, it made him very well paid. But now, uh, in, especially in recent years, ever since he signed that contract, the the salaries, the cap hits for these receivers in the NFL, they have gone bonkers, you know, to the point where these 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 stud-wide receivers are making a, a ton of a ton of money, uh, which is, you know, it's, it's, it's I don't want to say it's a shame, right, but uh, Julio signed this contract like right before that that kind of that kind of kicked in um but it's you know it is what it is you it's if you want to get market value 
uh, you you know it's, you don't sign these these long term deals. So you look at the the cap hit rankings right now for for wide receivers in 2018. Mike Evans has an 18.25 million dollar cap hit that leads the league. You have Larry Fitzgerald at 16.8. Jarvis Landry surprisingly number three on this list at 15.5. DeAndre Hopkins at 14 mil even. AJ Green 13.75. Ty Hilton 13 million. And Julio Jones comes in at seventh for the wide receiver cap hit rankings this year at 12.9 million. You take a look now at what these are going to look like in in 2019. Antonio Brown, that's when his extension will kick in. He gets that 22.16 million dollar cap hit. Brandon Cooks uh, is behind him at 20 million. Mike Evans is also at 20 million. Sammy Watkins is going to be at 19. So you take a look at where Julio Jones is going to be next year. He's going to be 13th on the list. He's going to be behind Antonio Brown. Brandon Cooks, Mike Evans, Sammy Watkins, Demarius Thomas, Adrian Green, T.Y. Hilton, Allen Robinson, uh, among others. So it's it's clear to see why maybe he's a little upset with the way his contract is structured right now. He's only you know he's less than two hundred thousand dollars ahead of Alshon Jeffrey on the on the Philadelphia Eagles. So it's clear to see why maybe he's a little upset with the way his contract is structured right now. Uh, he he is it's it's there's always going to be the debate. Regardless, everyone can agree he's a top three wide receiver in the National Football League. Is he the number one receiver? Uh, it's it's up to interpretation. Uh, some people are going to say Antonio Brown. Some people are going to say DeAndre Hopkins. Some people are going to say Julio. Whatever you think, he's a top three wide receiver, and he deserves to get paid as a top three wide receiver. The problem, as I just brought up, is that he signed this extension uh, you know, a couple years ago. So it, he's cut. It's not like he's in the final year of his contract, like someone else I'm going to get to in a second. It's not like he's in the final year of his deal. So he doesn't really have a ton of leverage, right? It's not like he's in the final year of his deal. And it's, there's, it's, there's not much really he can do. There's one thing he can do. He could, but you could hypothetically pull a Calvin Johnson, right? And, and just retire if he really wanted to. He could step away from the game. But I don't think he wants to do that. Now, he's made, I believe, around $63 million in his career. Um, so, you know, it's, that's if he's been smart with his money, um, which I don't know if he has or not, um, but if he has, uh, it's that's that's enough to, to, you know, to retire on if he wanted to and explore other business ventures. But I'd, at the same time, I doubt he really would, would want to explore that. I, I doubt that... We're going to get to a point where Julio skips games this year. I don't know how long he's going to hold out for, but I don't think he. it's going to get to the point where he skips games uh, or anything. He just doesn't seem like that type of guy. And obviously, there's, there's a penalty when something like that happens. But uh, with with Julio, the, the Falcons, I hope he kind of understands that they don't really have the, the... From what I've read, they don't really have the budget to... They could give him more guaranteed money if that's the issue, but it's, it's kind of tough for them to give him an extension that's you know worth as much as he wants it to be worth right now so it's i don't know they're the the falcons are in a tough position like i think they that the they need to be at least a little cognizant of the fact that if julio really wanted to he could he could step away like calvin johnson did uh several years back with the lions so i think they need to be cognizant of that because that's it's definitely i, I don't know if they should take the threat at face value, but they should at least kind of understand that there's a possibility that something like that happens. But at the at the same time, I kind of think that Julio needs to you know sit down and realize like, hey, listen, it's you know he needs to look himself in the mirror and realize that he signed this contract several years ago. He kind of needs to live with it, and then hopefully everything still goes well. And then after the 2020 season, he can get paid. At that point, he'll be 32 entering the 2021 campaign. So it you know it's. 
it's it's as I said, I don't want to say it's a shame because obviously he's still getting paid a, a lot of money, but uh, at the at the same time, it's it you know does he deserve to get paid more? Yeah, um, but there's there's just not much. If as I said earlier, if you want market value, you can't sign these long term deals, especially in the NFL. Now it's fine because especially with football, I I always respect guys for looking after their futures, especially the sport that they play. They try to get as much money as they can. That's fine. I respect that completely, but it's just tough for me to kind of, you know, be sympathetic with Julio because he signed this five-year deal right before these other receivers starting to pay their big money deals. So he kind of, you know, he kind of made his own path um, with, with this one. Now, if I'm the Falcons, I'm interested, well, not if I'm in the Falcons, I'm interested to see what the Falcons actually decide to do with Julio because their window it's you take a look at the at the Falcons right now, right? So you have Matt Ryan. He's locked up for for a while, but he's not getting any younger, right? He came off that MVP season a couple years ago, but he's 33 right now. He's going to be you know 34 in 2019. By the time his contract ends, he's going to be 38, and there's a potential out before his contract ends um, after the 2022 season. But it's their window is is closing, uh, and I don't know. I'd say maybe they have uh, another few years. You have Devontae Freeman locked up for, for a while. You have uh, Coleman, uh, who is locked up for, for right now, uh, but he is uh, slated to be an unrestricted free agent after the 2018 season. Obviously, Julio's locked up, but he wants more money. Sanu's not getting any younger. You just brought in Calvin Ridley, who could maybe be a replacement to, to Julio, um, depending on what the team wants to do with him. But their their window is is closing. It's closing. It, they had their opportunity, obviously, 28-3, uh, to 3, and they blew that. So their window is is rapidly closing. So I'm interested to see if the Falcons cave in and give in to Julio's demands just because they know that they don't have a ton of time left with this roster. Uh, but it's... I feel like they wouldn't. Uh, I feel like that's not a good look for 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 an organization just to cave in for for something like that. Especially since Julio, he's you know he still has a couple years left on this deal. But it's it'll be interesting to watch to see what ends up happening with that. As I said, I don't think Julio will end up skipping any games. It just it, he doesn't seem like that type of guy. I'm sure things will get resolved behind the scenes. The Falcons have said that they don't want to talk about this contract until the the end of the season which is totally understandable so hopefully Julio you know he's nothing bad happens to him this year like he doesn't get injured he has another solid season and then they can revisit these contract talks and then maybe this offseason they renegotiate something else and it, it helps them get paid but it you know we'll we'll have to wait and see we hear about these stories every year and it's we'll, we'll have to wait and see how serious Julio is about holding out because normally these guys they hold out for a little bit but then they come back and like oh yep ready to go ready to go to work ready to help this team win games but it's I don't know. As I said, Julio, I don't think he'll skip any games. That's the major thing. He could skip a little training camp. He's a he's a seven year vet, so it, it's it's not gonna hurt that much. The other guy holding out supposedly is is Earl Thomas, uh, the safety for the for the Seahawks. And this is from Newey Scruggs um, for NBC Sports Radio. Uh, he said, "I'm told Earl Thomas will not report to the Seahawks. He's done with Seattle. Plans to sell his house in Seattle." He will only report if he gets a new deal. I'm talking about it now on NBC Sports Radio. So it was, it was a real, it's, I don't know, it, I think if you're the Seahawks, it's, I don't know, it, I feel like it's not worth it at that point to, to bring him back, right? So it, it all goes back to, you know, after they win that Super Bowl, 
and they start giving all their defensive guys these big money deals because everyone was like, oh, yeah, we're all about the team. But then they said, oh, no, we want money. So they got to give Earl Thomas this money. They gave Cam Chancellor that money. They gave Richard Sherman an extension. They gave all these guys on their team these, you know, these, especially on defense, they gave them these big money extensions. And people kind of wonder, they wonder like, oh, how did Seattle go from this really great team to to now they, they're, you know, they're, they're not even the division favorites uh, in the in the NFC West anymore. They're they're it's they have a really good chance, I think, to finish third in that division this year. And people kind of wonder how did that happen? Well, when you give these guys these big money deals on the defense, it's that's fine for the. You remember Russell Wilson comes into the league as that rookie quarterback in 2012. It's fine. You got to remember he was on his rookie deal at that point. So at that time, they could afford to give those players those those extensions but then Russell Wilson signs his his big boy contract after his rookie after his rookie deal ends to the point where now he has a cap hit this year of 23.78 million dollars and then next year he has a cap hit of 25.2 million dollars at 29 it's what when these quarterbacks start to get their big boy contracts you know right like they they get these a ton of money the 20 plus million dollars a year it limits what you can do as a team, and that's why you see teams like the Eagles going all in right now while Wentz is on his, his still on his rookie deal. That's why they go out, they sign these guys to extensions, they sign these free agents, guys like, you know, the, the guys like the Alshon Jeffrey, they trade for guys like a Michael Bennett because they still have the opportunity to go all in while Wentz is on his rookie deal. The same goes for the Rams. They wouldn't have been able to do, you know, half of what they did this offseason, guys like bringing in Marcus Peters, the keep to leave. And Brandon Cooks, if Goff wasn't still on his rookie deal, so that's why you take advantage of that when you can, because as soon as that quarterback gets that really big extension, it limits what you could do, and it, it, we've seen it limit. It's limited what the Seahawks can do to improve that team, especially since the as the guys on the defense, you know, it's they with all the money that they're making, there's only so much that the Seahawks can do. So I feel like if you're the Seahawks, uh, it Earl Thomas right there, right this year, uh, if you take a look. Earl Thomas is set to make, I believe, 10, yeah, he's making 10, <clears throat> $10.4 million, excuse me, and then he's an unrestricted free agent. It, from what I've read, it seems like he he doesn't really want to be, it, it seems like he wants to go to Dallas, right, um, which I don't, It you know, it's, I, it, it is what it is, right? If he really wants to go there, so be it. If I'm the Seahawks, I, I'm trading him, right? I, like, I, I don't care at this point anymore. I, I, I wouldn't be able to deal with Earl Thomas anymore. Like, you take a look at how the Seahawks are constructed. They're not going to win anything this year, right? Like, it's, you, you know, it, they are more than one or two pieces away from making any noise in the, in the playoffs. I know the thing, like, oh, if you make the playoffs, it's, you know, it, it you just got to make it and then something can happen. This Seahawks team might not even make the playoffs. As I said, they might not even finish second in their division this year. Depending on the, how big of a step Garoppolo takes in his development, this team might not even finish second in their division this year. Uh, they're, they're, I'd say it's safe to say that they're behind the Rams right now, and I, they might be behind the 49ers as well. The only team they're ahead of is the Cardinals, and the only reason they're ahead of the Cardinals is because of their, you know, their quarterback situation is kind of in a state of flux with Sam Bradford, who can't stay healthy, uh, and Josh Rosen, who's a rookie. So if I'm the Seahawks... It's like, I, I, I'm done with this, like, oh, well, we just need to get in, like, a couple more pieces and we can still compete. Fuck that, you know? Just start the rebuild right now. There's th- This team has needed to, I'm not going to say rebuild, but they've needed to retool for a very long time. So you look at the way this team is constructed right now, they don't have any good running backs anymore. The wide receivers outside of Doug Baldwin 
are a joke. You bring in Brandon Marshall, that's not going to do anything. Brandon Marshall's washed up. He's not going to help out that team. You know, he's making $720,000 this year. He's not the guy he used to be. He's 34 years old. So that's, I should say, that's his, I should say $720,000, that's his cap hit. You look at, they don't have any great tight ends. The offensive line's a mess, uh, and it's been a mess, you know, ever since Russell Wilson's been there. It's, the defense is not the same that it used to be. Just trade Earl Thomas for some picks or, or something to help accelerate this rebuild because it's not worth it anymore. You have, it's, it's, I'm, I'm speechless because I don't know why they're letting this guy kind of walk all over them. Like, they got their Super Bowl, right? Like, they did what they need to do. They got their Super Bowl ring. The fan base was happy. The front office was happy. The players were happy. That's fine. So, like, it, it's that's what happens. You go all in. You try to win the Super Bowl, and they were able to get that one ring. Now it's time for this team to, I think, take a step back, realize that, okay, it, there's we need to kind of evaluate where we are. We're not one of the top teams, not only in the conference, but in our own division anymore. We have a coach that's got one foot out the door based on his age. Pete Carroll, I don't care what people say, he's not going to be there for too much longer. He's got one foot out the door. I think it's time to take a step back, realize we need to get better at a lot of different positions. We have a quarterback, hypothetically, that could leave after, maybe not after this year, but definitely after the next year if he really wants to and get a big money deal somewhere else. So I think they I, they really need to evaluate where they are as a team right now. There are so many issues with the Seahawks right now as an organization from top to bottom. It's I think they really just need to it's they, they need to try it's. It's not worth it to give Earl Thomas a contract, right? Like Earl Thomas said that he's not going to report unless he gets a new contract. It's it's not worth it, right? L- let him not report. Trade him somewhere else. Like if maybe don't even trade him to Dallas, right? Like trade him just somewhere else. Get him off the team. It's not it's not worth it. And Earl Thomas, obviously, he's one of the most talented safeties in in all football, but. It's not worth it at this point. He had, you know, Earl Thomas, the entire team. They had the nice run there for a few years. They were the top of the, you know, at the top of the conference year in and year out. But now he's 29 years old. Russell Wilson's 29 years old. That entire team, there's a lot of question marks. Just start a new era, right? Like, we finished that chapter. The chapter's over. Just flip the page and start a new chapter in the history of the Seahawks. It's not, it's, I keep saying it's not worth it. Just let Earl Thomas trade him. Let him walk. Don't, it's whatever. But it's, I'll say this right now. If they do give him the extension that he wants, it's that team is going to be set back um, for for a few-year period at the very least. It's, I don't think that it's worth it. So I think just let old Thomas go, get rid of the headache, and start a new chapter. That's, exa- that's, that's what the Seahawks need to do at this point. Uh, it's, I think that's the best thing for them to do. And keeping it in the in the NFC West as we kind of uh, end this, this football discussion, the, there was one guy in the NFC West that did get uh, an extension. That was Todd Gurley. So uh, according to a according to a source, and I can't say according to a source because it's been made official, but Schefter said that Rams and running back Todd Gurley finalizing agreement on a four-year extension worth $60 million. That includes $45 million guaranteed that ties him to L.A. for the next six seasons. So as Schefter said, finally a deal that resets the running back market. Uh, so you take a look at how the Rams are currently constructed. I think it's a good deal for that team. As I said, you know, golf is selling his rookie contract for the next few years. Obviously he has that fifth year club option 2020, which I'm sure they'll, they'll pick up. So golf is selling his rookie deal for three more years. You can give Gurley this extension and it's not going to kill your cap. You, you, of course you brought in, as I said, Brandon cooks this year. 
Um, so it's that's that's something you can do on the defensive line. You bring in a Dom Sue for for one year. You bring in Akib Talib and Marcus Peters. Marcus Peters is still on his rookie deal for this year before it bumps up again next year. Akib Talib is making nineteen million dollars over the next two years. So it's I think that Gurley, he's it's definitely it was a good it's it's good right. So the Rams they they needed to keep this guy. He's so he's such a focal part to their offense. You could put whatever quarterback on that team. And and you know Gurley would help them out as, as as much as possible, right? So it's so there was I want to say some stats, right? And these are from uh, Key and Fahey. Um and I know he's kind of uh, he's kind of controversial in a lot of things that he says. I don't agree with everything that he says, um, but there you know it's he he puts in a lot of research into into what he says, so. Uh, some stats once again from him. He said that Jared Goff had the second most yards on screens last year, 549. Todd Gurley accounted for 361 of those. Gurley alone would have ranked 11th in the league in screen yards amongst quarterbacks. So that's that's already that's a that's a hell of a stat. Goff gained 2,100 yards of yak last year, yards after the catch, 51.7% of his total yards, and the fifth highest rate in the league. Gurley accounted for 800 of those. Gurley averaged 11.8 yards after the catch every time he touched the ball, second only to Chris Thompson's 11.9. 45.6% of Gurley's catches saw him catch the ball behind the first down line and carry it past the first down line, second only to Chris Thompson. So it's the, those are stats from Keen Fay. Definitely, you know, even if you don't agree with what he says, he does, you know, he does tweet out some interesting statistics. His his writing style is solid. So definitely give him a follow on Twitter. It's at C I A N A F uh, on Twitter. Um, it's it, Gurley is a focal part of that offense. He's a, he's a major reason why golf was able to take such a big step. People are going to say um, McVay was a big part of that, and of course he was too. But having Todd Gurley in the backfield next to him was definitely a reason why golf was able to take such a big step forward because you remember going into this past season, the twenty the twenty seventeen season, people didn't know how good golf was. He did not look good at all his rookie year under Jeff Fisher. People thought that he was gonna be a bust. Uh, it, most people had him in the the bottom six or seven quarterbacks, you know, starting quarterbacks in the league entering last season. And he, he goes out there, was he perfect? No. Was he a top 10 quarterback? No. But, you know, he took a big step forward, and he proved a lot, myself included, I was not very high in, on Jared Goff entering last year. He took a big step forward in his development, having Gurley there help. So having Gurley there for for the foreseeable future is definitely going to help out that Rams team. It's going to help out Jared Goff. Hopefully, I can, I can only imagine he's going to take another step in his in his development with, with Gurley still there. You could not let that guy go no matter what. You take a look at Todd Gurley. This is the guy that people kind of wondered, uh, is this guy kind of losing? Because you take a look at, at what he's done in, in his career. So he comes on really good in his rookie year, right? Um, he, he appears in 13 games. He starts 12 of them. He rushes for 1,106 yards and, and 10 touchdowns. He comes out of the backfield, gets 21 receptions for 188 yards. He doesn't get any touchdowns. And then a year later, he starts all 16 games. But it's you know he he was not as was not as effective. He only got 885 yards. He was only averaging 3.2 yards per attempt. Um, he did more in the receiving department, right? So he got 43 receptions for 327 yards. But still, people were kind of wondering, ah, oh, is this was this first year of fluke? Is this what Gurley actually is? And people kind of they they admitted at the time too that all right, well. Uh, I mean, Gurley, they were stacking the box against him in 2016 because they were going up against the likes of, of rookie Jared Goff, 
Um, and, you know, it's, their quarterback situation was not very good in, in 2016. So he comes back in, in 2017 and has obviously the best year of his career. He's a first-team All-Pro. Uh, he was selected to the Pro Bowl. He appeared in 15 games, started all 15 of them. He had 279 rushing attempts. He rushed for 1,305 yards, 13 touchdowns. He averaged 4.7 yards per attempt, 87 yards a game. And he was really big, as I mentioned with the screens, um, as Keen Faye pointed out. He was really big in the receiving department. He was targeted 87 times. He caught 64 balls for 788 yards, averaged 12.3 yards per reception, and added six additional touchdowns. So yards from scrimmage, he had over 2,000, 2,090 Three nineteen total touchdowns. He only fumbled five times. So that, which you know, granted that was the amount of times he fumbled in his first two seasons combined. But uh, it's you had to keep this guy. He's only going to be twenty three years old uh, this year. He's going to turn twenty four actually pretty soon. Uh, actually, in about a week or so on August third, so next week. But you had to keep Todd Gurley in Los Angeles. It's the guy's the guy's your offense basically. He he makes Jared Goff. I'm not going to say he makes Goff look better than he actually is, but. He makes golf look very good. Uh, if you're the Rams, you could not afford to let him go. So Todd Gurley will remain with Los Angeles, with the Rams, for the foreseeable future, signing that four-year extension, $60 million. Um, will keep him in Los Angeles, $45 million guaranteed. Uh, so that's, as Schefter said, it resets the running back market. Uh, I kind of want to see what that means for Le'Veon Bell. It seems like he's not going to get that extension from Pittsburgh. So when we enter the offseason, I'm kind of interested to see what this means for Le'Veon Bell and his contract um, because obviously that's a, a big sticking point right now. But Gurley, Los Angeles, they will be together for the next several seasons. Moving on now to the NBA, there was one thing I wanted to talk about, and it was a contract extension. So according to... Woj, who tweeted this out, um, and he said he was reporting this with Brian Windhorst. Cavaliers forward Kevin Love has signed a four-year, $120 million contract extension, topping out his overall deal at, excuse me, five years and $145 million, league sources tell ESPN. So it's it's kind of funny. Uh, this is a guy that, uh, you know, he got a lot of flack. Uh, and when you're on a team with LeBron, that's going to happen. Uh, he was kind of the... You know, he, he kind of took a lot of the heat, uh, especially when he played with LeBron and, and Kyrie and even just LeBron and the, the guys he had last year. But uh, Kevin Love, he seems like a, you know, a really nice guy, fantastic guy, guy you'd love to have on your team. Uh, I'm not going to use any of the the white athlete power words like gritty um, and a guy you'd love your daughter to date when I'm going to talk about Kevin Love. But he said he wanted to spend the rest of his career in Cleveland, and this will allow him the opportunity to to do something like that by signing this by signing this contract. You take a look at Kevin Love right now. He's 29 years old. He's been in the league for 10 years. So now he's he's set for until he's going to be 34, um, which is which is good, right? Um, so he's going to be it with Cleveland through the end of the 2022-23 season. He'll become a free agent um, at age 34. Uh, we'll have to wait and see what Cleveland looks like at that point, but. It's, it was this was a, this was a solid deal for for Cleveland to to keep Kevin Love with the organization for for a while. It's not going to hurt them that much either. Uh, it's you, you take a look at how their their cap plays out. George Hill is on the books um, for just the next two years through 2019. Jordan Clarkson's on the books through 2019. Um, so both of them are going to be unrestricted free agents uh, in 2020. Colin Sexton 
Uh, obviously, he's going to be on his rookie deal, so he's with them for at least the next five years. J.R. Smith comes off the books after the 2019 season. Kyle Korver, of course, he could get traded, um, but Kyle Korver is on the books. Uh, he's off the books after the 2019 season. Uh, Chetty Osman is is with the team for the next three years at least. Uh, he's not making a lot of money right now. Larry Nance Jr. is with the team for the next two years if they want it. Uh, Akara Wright, White excuse me, is on the team for the next two years if they want him. They bring back Channing Fry in a one-year deal, but so he's gone after this year. Uh, Tristan Thompson's money is off the books after 2019. So entering the, the 2020 offseason, the Cavaliers... They're they're gonna be in in an intriguing position. Um, so it's they're they're gonna have a lot of money to spend, right? So it's by that point, um, as I said, Hill, Clarkson, Smith, Corver, uh, and Thompson, they're all gonna be gone, right? Assuming Corver stays with the team and assuming none of these guys are traded, um, they're all gonna be off the books. So that's all money that the the Cavaliers will have. Now, of course, Cleveland is that the is it the most the the most attractive free agent destination? Oh God, no, not even close. They're they're probably gonna have to overpay a little bit for for some of these free agents that they're gonna bring in. But you 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 kind of understand that the 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 Cleveland Cavaliers they're well, it's not really the Cavaliers. You take a look at the NBA. A lot of these teams they're getting set for the free agency boom in 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 2019. Right, uh, they're they're getting ready to spend all this money. So in 2020, a lot of these teams they might not have a ton of money to spend on on free agents. So you take a look at the guys who who could potentially be available. I'm just gonna throw out some names here. Um, in 2020, Kyle Lowry, Kevin Durant, Paul Millsap, Al Horford, Hassan Whiteside, Harrison Barnes, uh, Marcus Gasol, Abaka, Gallinari, Ryan Anderson, Jabari Parker. You go further down, Kawhi Leonard, Kyrie Irving, Jimmy Butler. Uh, going further down, Draymond Green, uh, Chris Middleton, potentially. And will all these guys be free agents in 2020? No. A lot of them are, you know, realistically, they're going to sign extensions, right? They're going to sign extensions. They're going to sign, you know, with a different team uh, the year before. But, um, it, you know, those are just, you know, some of the names that might be available. And if not, maybe they, you know, it's, it is what it is. But the point is that the Cavaliers, they're not going to be capped out. They're going to be have so much flexibility by the time 2020 rolls around. And by that point, you have to imagine they're going to get, you know, a couple more rookies in there. Obviously, they have Sexton right now. Um, they have a couple young, intriguing guys in in Jordan Clarkson and and, and Larry Dance Jr. in there already. So uh, it's they, they got some names. Uh, I don't really know where the Cavaliers uh, would... It's some people are going to say, oh, they're definitely going to be a playoff team, especially since they play in the in the East. Uh, so it's good that Kevin Love is back. I I don't know if I would go that far. I need to see how this Cavaliers team plays first. So obviously they finish as the fourth seed this year. So you figure the, the playoff teams in the East next year, uh, definitely Toronto, Boston, Philadelphia, Indiana, Miami, Milwaukee and Washington. Uh, those are those are your definite playoff teams. And then you take a look at who's behind them. Um, that did not make the playoffs. I don't know if Detroit takes that step forward uh, to, to make the playoffs. Charlotte, they're they're always intriguing, but I don't know if they take that next step either. The Knicks aren't there yet. The Nets aren't there yet, but they're they're showing some signs of life. The Bulls, it's going to be a couple years before they're back in the playoff picture. Uh, the Magic and the Hawks, it's you know the Magic I think have a lot of intriguing young talent, but they're not there yet. The Hawks are just blatantly tanking this year, um, so. Uh, it's. I don't know. I think Cleveland's ceiling at this point is definitely the the eighth seed, even even in the East. I'd say maybe you, you get up to to seven or six if you're really lucky. 
I'd say. But, I'd, you know, you look at Cleveland's roster the way it's constructed. You have George Hill. So you're starting five projected right now. You have George Hill, J.R. Smith, Kyle Korver, Larry Nance, and Kevin Love. That's not great. On your bench, you got Jordan Clarkson, Tristan Thompson, Colin Sexton, Channing Fry, and then Chetty, uh, Ante Zizic, and John Holland. So it's it's not the greatest team. Um, it's I find it hard to believe that. Like as I said, they're gonna have to be really lucky to to get the the sixth or seventh seed. I think this is a ceiling of an AC team. I would not be surprised if they miss the playoffs. Um, this upcoming season, 2018-2019. But um. I think that it it's they're set up well for the for the future, right? Um, you take a look at their at their future draft picks. Uh, for, so for next season, it's they'd actually kind of be. It's I don't want to say they it's it would be a good idea if they tanked, but if you take a look at at twenty nineteen, um, it's it's their own pick as long as it's between one and ten, but it goes to Atlanta if it's eleven and thirty. So. Uh, you look again then at 2020, uh, they have uh, 1 and 10 is their own, 11 to 30 goes to Atlanta. So it's basically Atlanta will either get their pick this year or they'll get their pick next year. So if you're Cleveland, you kind of have, you know, a, an incentive to, you know, maybe not be as good if not 2019 and definitely, you know, 2020. Um, so, you know, you get, you're, you're going to get some, they're, they're going to not have one of their first round picks in either this year or next year. Right. So they're going to be out of a first round pick. That was in the Corver deal, obviously, because it's going to Atlanta, but they're going to be without a first round pick. Now, maybe they could trade somebody for a first round pick. I don't know really who on this team you would trade for a first round pick. I don't think Corver's going to net you that. He's probably just going to net you some seconds, but uh, it's, I think the Cavaliers are set up, you know, may, maybe not well long-term, but they have flexibility long-term, especially in today's NBA. I think that's a huge thing, having flexibility. So they're, they're, there's going to be a down period. Um, but I, I think that, you know, towards the end of Kevin Love's contract, if everything goes right and they build the team the right way, they should be back in the playoff picture when Kevin Love is kind of getting into, you know, the 32, 33, 34-year range. Uh, so it's uh, I'm happy to see that Kevin Love remains with, with Cleveland. As I say, he's a very nice guy. He took a lot of flack on that team, but uh, it's good for him. Uh, it, the Cavaliers said very have a lot of flexibility. Um, we'll see if they are able to build a team around Kevin Love. I don't think they'll be able to build a championship team around him, but they might be able to build a playoff team around him as the years progress in his contract. But Kevin Love will remain with Cleveland for the foreseeable future as well, signing that four-year, $120 million extension. I want to talk now a little Major League Baseball, the third sport on the on the dock. So we've talked about the NFL. We've talked about the NBA. We want to move now into Major League Baseball. There's one thing I want to talk about, the trade deadline one week away. It's obviously, of course, the trade deadline. Very exciting time for, for baseball fans, especially if your team is, is in the race. And even if your team's not in the race, if your team is a seller, it's, it's interesting to see. Uh, it's always a lot of fun to see what prospects maybe you can get uh, in return. So San Diego, right, they made the trade last week. They traded Adam Simber and Brad Hand for Francisco Mejia. They are supposedly interested. They are making uh, what is quoted as being a big push for, for Chris Archer. And initially, you you take a look at, you you hear that report, and you kind of wonder, all right, well, that it doesn't make sense. Why would the Padres be be so inclined to, to make a trade for a guy like a Chris Archer? You take a look at the Padres right now. They are in last place in their division. They are 42 and 61. They are 15 and a half games back in that NL West. They are 14 and a half back 
in the in the wild card race. So you kind of wonder why a team like a San Diego would be so inclined to 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 make a trade for a guy like a Chris Archer, a guy like in a Chris Archer um, who is you know some people think he could be an ace. Uh, his peripherals would indicate that he could probably be a top of the rotation starter. Um, his results would indicate that he's probably middle of the rotation. But you take a look at Chris Archer's contract. He is on an extremely team-friendly deal. So this year he's only making $6.25 million. Next year he's slated to make uh, $7.66 um, for his adjusted salary. And then 2020 and 2021, they are both club options for an, worth $8.25 million. So this guy is not going to be a free agent until he's 33, until the 2022 season, which is which is insane. That is an extremely team-friendly deal, uh, especially for a team like the Rays, but you, you get him to a team like the Padres, you see why the Padres would be interested in him. Now, the Padres have a plethora of pitching prospects down in their in their minor league system. They have Mackenzie Gore. They have uh, Michael Baez. They have Adrian Morjon. They have Cal Quancho. They have Logan Allen. Uh, Joey Chessy has, has seen time this year. Al Lauer, Anderson Espinosa, who's been injured. They have so much pitching depth. Jacob Nix, right? Uh, they have so much pitching depth in their minor league system that, you know, maybe it would it would help, right, if they if they bring a guy like a Chris Archer into 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 the organization. And, and Ken Rosendahl, he wrote about this earlier today, and he brought up a, a good point of, you know, these these teams around the major leagues, it's not the, the biggest question isn't if. The question is, when do you do something like this? When do you make this this type of trade? And for the Padres, it's it's kind of interesting. So you take a look at the Padres right now on um, the, the guys that they have, uh, the stars that they have. They have Clayton uh, Richard, Tyson Ross, Luis Perdomo. As I said, Lucchesi uh, is, is getting some time this year and, and Eric Lauer. So it's it might help, especially as some of these these pitching prospects come up to to perhaps you know get a a veteran in there a veteran voice um just looking at it from the perspective of the Padres it might help to get a guy like a Chris Archer in there that can kind of you know teach these young guys you know the ropes right and you know it's it's kind of a cliche mindset but it could definitely help now at the same it's at the same time the the uh, the the Padres right uh, I said they have a lot of pitching prospects they have a lot of prospects regardless now obviously they have Francisco Mejia they have Fernando Tatis Jr. Who, who got injured. They have Luis Urias. Uh, they got a guy in, in Naylor. They have Franchi Cordero, Jesse and Rosario, Gabriel Arias, Michael Geddes. They have, you know, they have solid uh, offensive prospects, but pitching is really where they where they have a lot of depth. So you kind of wonder, all right, is it worth trading all these prospects for a guy in Archer who would definitely help out our pitching staff? Or maybe we should wait and trade these prospects for a bat. Right, because you take a look. Offensively, the Padres have been awful for for years, and they they've tried to rectify that in in recent years. Right, you you get Will Myers in a trade from Tampa Bay on uh, the 2014-15 offseason. You sign Eric Hosmer as a free agent this past year. Um, but uh, offensively, the team is definitely um, a little rough uh, around the edges. So you kind of wonder, all right, well, should we go all in and trade these prospects that we've acquired um, for a pitcher, or should we wait? Uh, and maybe trade them for a bat because it would seem as though a bat is something that they, they could use. And as I said, Ken Roosevelt brings up the point, when is the right time to do this, right? You have these prospects sometimes at some points, like the prospects value, it's never going to be higher than it is right now. But at the same time, you know, you, you trade these guys and they become really good. 
uh, and the guy you get back in, you know, hypothetically, let's say it's Archer, he's not as good. So it's it's always a, a big question of when exactly is the right time to do this. But uh, I think that it's it's interesting that AJ Preller and that front office is making a run at a guy like a Chris Archer. Uh, it's it's intriguing. I'd say that. I don't know. I'm not the biggest fan of Chris Archer. Like a lot of other people around the league are. I've seen Phillies fans say, Oh, you guys think we should try to kind of get Chris Archer. He'd be good. I'm not the biggest fan of him. I don't know. Maybe if he just needs like a different. So the problem with him is really that he's kind of like, he's, he has two pitches. He's never really been able to hone in on that third pitch that you need to be a successful starter in this league. Like he has it, but he's never really been able to be successful. So it's if he could hone in that third pitch, so I, that's that's the thing. Like I don't know, maybe if he goes to a different organization and they get a pitching coach in there to help him out, if he'd be able to to figure that out. But uh, it's I feel as though, you know, it's it's intriguing that the Padres are interested in Archer. I don't know if AJ Preller would make this move, and for the Rays. It's interesting, too, um, because if we talk about for the Padres, when is the right time to finally cash in all these prospects for, you know, for a big haul? When is the right time for the Rays to to trade this guy, right? So you kind of wonder maybe if his value is going to get higher um, down the road, um, and then, you know, maybe he pitches a little better and his value increases, but at the same time, then you lose that team control um, on that really team-friendly contract, you lose the so if you traded for him in this deadline, you have him for as Ken Rosenthal said four pennant races. If you trade for him this offseason, you have him for for three. So it's it you know the the Rays they kind of have to balance that too. If they're like, all right, when's the best time to trade this guy? We could get a lot for him now, but then you know if we keep him, maybe increases his value. But if we keep him, then maybe he gets injured or he decreases his value. So it's kind of like a skill. You never really know when the right time to trade a guy is. You just kind of have to take that risk and uh, that shot in the dark and, and hope it works. Um, but it's it's intriguing that the Padres are making a run at Archer. I don't think they're going to end up getting him at this deadline, but it's, you know, Archer's name is out there. He's been linked to a couple teams. Uh, the Padres are kind of like a surprising team, but uh, it's uh, if I'm a Padres fan, obviously uh, I'm happy uh, to hear this, the fact that they're at least in the market for somebody like Chris Archer who has that name value. So if I'm a Padres fan, I'd be happy. Our farm, you know, if I'm a Padres fan, the farm system looks incredible. And it, you look, you look. I'd say in 2020, this team could definitely start to make a run at some winning seasons and some playoff berths. Um, next year, I think is another going to be another building year. But I think 2020 rolls around, this team's going to be pretty set. And by that point, I think 2020, they will have traded some of those prospects for uh, whether it's going to be an ace at the front of the rotation or a big bat. I think they're going to trade some of those prospects. But the Padres, they're in a good position. As I said, I doubt they get Archer, but it's intriguing to see that they are linked to to one of the best pitchers available on the on the trade market. Uh, the podcast is almost over, so we will end with some NASCAR. Yeah, boy, NASCAR. As I said, I'd like to end the podcast with NASCAR because I know not everyone likes it. But NASCAR, uh, I don't want to talk for too long about it. They were at Loudoun, New Hampshire this past weekend on Sunday, and it was a hell of a race. It was one of the most, if not the most, entertaining New Hampshire race in in a you know in a long time right like since I've started watching NASCAR full time which was 2004 um, this was one of the best it's New Hampshire races in, in recent memory right so it's it was as I said in the in the podcast on Friday it races like a short track it's a one mile track but it's all flat so it races a lot like a short track um, and there was it's I don't know it was just a lot of fun to watch I was worried that it was not going to be able to be held on on Sunday because the threat of rain I was kind of worried that it wouldn't be able to be held until today on Tuesday but it was so much fun to watch like I I said with Kentucky 
that um, I, you know, normally I'm kind of really glued to my monitor watching the race. But I said, like, with a race like at Kentucky, I was more interested in what was going on on my PS4 than what was going on in the race. Uh, that wasn't the case with uh, with this race on on Sunday with uh, with the New Hampshire race at Loudoun. It's I was I was glued to to my monitor. Like I had something on my other monitor that I was kind of working out, but I was glued to what was happening. I think part of it too was the the broadcast. So instead of having Rick Allen do play by play, so he's the normal play by play guy in the in the booth um, for NBC Sports. They actually had him down on pit road, and they had they had a booth um, for the race with Dale Earnhardt Jr., Steve Letarte, and Jeff Burton. So there's that's not really a uh, there's no clear cut play by play guy in that booth. And it was casual Sunday. They're all wearing like these nice racing t-shirts. They weren't wearing like these suits and ties. They were just like racing t-shirts and like a pair of pants. It's just it was relatable, you know. It's like you're just sitting back and you're you're drinking, you're having a beer, and you're you're watching a race with your buddies, you know. Like it was just it was relatable. They were all they they were good. I think Latart did very well. Um, he kind of handled the the play by play role to an extent, but it's, I, that was part of the reason too. Like they all did really well in the booth together. There was like a nice chemistry between all three of them. People kind of wondered, oh, how are three color guys going to work in the booth together? They they I thought they were ex- phenomenal. They did extremely well. I think Rick Allen did very good down on on pit row. He showed you know a side of his personality that we don't get to see up in the booth. So it's I, I'd love to see them be able to do that again. What I want to see it you know multiple times a month no uh but i think you do that maybe once or twice you know once or twice you know every other week or so or maybe once a month i i think that's definitely worth it for for sure it's it's i don't know it just it made the race uh even more enjoyable than, than it already was and the action was was great on the track right uh especially towards the end of the race kevin harvick was behind kyle bush and uh kevin had a faster car um definitely I was as I, I was surprised, right? So I said I'd be shocked if a Toyota didn't win on on Sunday, and I was wrong. It was not a Toyota. Kevin Harvick uh, had a very fast car all day, and Kyle Busch said in his post race interview, he said, "Ah, oh, well, Kevin had a faster car than us, so I don't know if he needed to do what he did." And he was referring to how Ky- uh, Kevin Harvick gave him the old bump and run. He bumped him out of the groove entering the turn, so Kyle Busch went all the way up to the wall, didn't hit the wall, but Kevin Harvick bumped him out of the groove, passed him, and and that was that. So it's. Once again, you go back to what Kyle Busch said. Um, I think it was at, uh, I want to say, yeah, it was at Chicagoland. If you don't like that type of racing, then don't even bother watching. And it's it's true. Like, if you don't like that, if you don't think that's fair, it's not worth watching. I think it was, it was, I was, like, I, I kind of, I didn't jump up from my seat, but I was like, oh, damn. Because, I don't know, it's just, it's. He's, aside from Kentucky, these past few weeks at, at the at the NASCAR races, they've been they've been really fun to watch. It's it's kind of surprising because we're kind of in this. Oh, they need to add more tracks. They they need to fix this package. And you know there is truth to that. They do need to add different tracks to the schedule. They do need to hopefully this next Arrow package you know helps out because the one that you know the one that they have right now is not great. But these past few weeks outside of Kentucky, the race has been the racing's been great. Chicago Land was a lot of fun to watch. Daytona was a lot of fun to watch. Loudon was a lot of fun to watch. And hopefully, it keeps up at Pocono next week because I've been having a lot. Because as a NASCAR fan, the past couple of years have been the, the racing has been kind of you know, eh. but especially for someone like me who doesn't really have a favorite driver to watch anymore. Um, I used to be a Bobby Labonte fan. Obviously, he doesn't race. Well, he does race. It's just in the Wheel and Euro series, but um, it's it's been a lot of fun to watch. So uh, it's it was tough for me at first because you know the racing wasn't great and I didn't have a favorite driver on top of that. But now that's the racing has been really it's it's been good this year. Um, there obviously there's some racetracks that uh, have not been fun at all, not fun at all to watch. But 
it's been, you know, for the most part, it's been a solid season for, for NASCAR in, in my opinion. Uh, I, I think as, as time goes on, you know, it, the, the sport will get, maybe it will, it, you know, maybe it'll never get back to what it used to be, but I think it, it'll get back to a good position, especially when they're able to start adding some new tracks in a couple years in 2020 uh, and they get this new package in that should hopefully help the racing. I think NASCAR is going to be in a, in a pretty good position in a couple years. But you take a look at the standings now. So Kevin Harvick, he gets his sixth, uh, and I have quotations around that. I do the air quotes, sixth win. Uh, the one win he got earlier in the year uh, does not really count towards his uh, towards his number of wins. So he has six with an asterisk next to it. So technically he has five. But you take a look at the standings. Kyle Busch has five. He's in first place. Kevin Harvick has um, six slash five. He's in second place. Truex has four wins. He's in third place. And then you take a look at the other guys that are locked into the playoffs right now. Clint Boyer has two wins. He's locked in. And Joey Logano has a win. He's locked in. Eric Jones has a win. He's locked in. Then Austin Dillon has a win. And he's locked in. You take a look at the guys that don't have wins yet. That So, by the way, you take a look at that already. You have seven different drivers that have won a race this year um, in 20 races. Um, some people aren't too happy about that. I think it's fine. I think people are making too big of a deal out of that. But uh, you take a look at the, now the, the guys that have not won yet that are still in on points. Kurt Busch is fifth in the standing. So, he's he's not mathematically in yet, but it's pretty safe to say that he'll make the playoffs. Uh, Brad Keselowski right now is in 7th um, on the pure point standings. He has 635 points. Kyle Larson, 8th. Ryan Blaney, ninth. Ryan Blaney moved up a spot. Uh, he's in ninth. Denny Hamlin moved down a spot. He is in 10th. And by the way, I want to talk about Loudon, um, the, the finishing order, because I said the Toyotas would probably dominate, and I wouldn't be surprised if a Joe Gibbs car won. So Kevin Harvick finished 1st. Uh, Kyle Busch finished 2nd. You take a look here. Uh, Eric Almarola had uh, a heck of a run. He finished 3rd. Almarola definitely will make the chase this year. Um, at this point, which will be nice to see him in the chase. Joey Logano, or excuse me, Martin Truex Jr., Toyota finished fourth. Uh, you take a look at who finished fifth. It was Chase Elliott, who got a stage win in there as well. So he got a he got a playoff point. Uh, you look at now who finished uh, sixth. It was Ryan Newman. So he helped out uh, his chances of, of making the playoffs, although he probably still needs a win. But he helped out his chances. Uh, you take a look at who finished seventh. It was Ryan Blaney. Eighth was Kurt Busch. Ninth was Joey Logano. And rounding out your top ten was was Jimmy Johnson a couple notables uh Clint Boyer had some had some issues he finished 35th Brad Keselowski finished 32nd um so it's they they kind of finished uh, a little ways back Ricky Stenhouse finished 30th so obviously it's it's not what you want to see AJ Allmendinger finished 36th now he was never going to make it on points regardless but still it's a, it's a rough finish for him he really now needs to win at Watkins Glen in a couple weeks it's going to be a lot of pressure on him but uh, we'll see if he can thrive on it. But going back to the standings now, and 11th right now is Eric Almirola. 12th is Jimmy Johnson. 13th is Chase Elliott. Alex Bowman right now is the last driver um, on points. He is in that cutoff spot. He's 15th in the standings. So he's the, the last driver in there right now. He has 453 points. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. has 425. So that would be, what does I try to do, Matt? That would be, what, 28 points, I believe, behind Alex Bowman. Paul Menard is 29 points, I believe, behind. Um, he has 424 points. Newman has 379. Dana Suarez has 359. So you get further down. Um, Newman's probably going to have to get a win. Um, Suarez is probably going to have to get a win. Byron McMurray, Busher, um, AJ Allmendinger. You could put Bubba Wallace there if you want to. They're going to have to get a win if they want to try to make the playoffs. And obviously, as I said, Allmendinger, his best chance is going to be at Watkins Glen. But... It's uh, NASCAR. It's been a lot of fun. They're going to be at, at Pocono this weekend. So they are back at Pocono. They were just there in June and now they are there here for the final 
weekend of July. Uh, they will be there July 29th on Sunday at 2.30 p.m. And then the stretch run begins five more races until the end of the season. Watkins Glen on August 5th. That's def- if, if you're not a NASCAR fan, definitely watch Watkins Glen. That's a great race to start to watch because um, it's, it's road course. That's always fun to watch. Michigan on August 12th. They get the Saturday night at Bristol on August 18th. Then they get a week off. They get back to Darlington on September 2nd for Labor Day weekend. And then they end the season at Indianapolis for the first time on September 9th before the round of 16 starts on September 16th at Vegas. So it's uh, shaping up to be uh, an exciting stretch run for, for NASCAR, and I'm definitely looking forward to to watching it. But that'll be just about do it for this episode of the Brian Wallace Sports Podcast. As I said, you can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, CastBox, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, a lot of services. Go to my link tree to check it out, my website, ryanwallace.com. Connect with me on social media. Tell me what you want to hear me talk about and all that good stuff. I want to thank you for listening to this episode of the Brian Wallace Sports Podcast, and I will catch you all again next time. Thank you. Thank you.